I want you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to 1 John chapter 3 this morning. 1 John chapter 3, as you head there, let me tell you about a wife who called out to her husband to come and help her with a very difficult jigsaw puzzle. She just couldn't figure out how to begin this very difficult jigsaw puzzle. So she calls out to her husband. Her husband says, what's it supposed to, what's this, what's it supposed to be when it's finished? <laughs> and she says, well, according to the picture, it looks like it's supposed to be a tiger. And so he comes in the room and he, and he comes into the kitchen table and he sees the puzzle spread all over the table and he, he studies the pieces for a moment and then he looks at the box and he turns to her and he says, you know, no matter what we do, we're not going to be able to assemble the pieces here into anything resembling a tiger. You really should put the frosted flakes back in the box and put it away. <laughs> you ever find yourself confused? <laughs> you ever find yourself a little baffled? It happens to me at times, and I am notorious for this, somebody comes and says something to me and they mean one thing and I hear something totally different. I'm, I'm probably the only person in the room that does that, right? Somebody says something and, and sometimes they'll say a name. Do, do, do you know about so-and-so? And I go, ah. Uh, and I, it's just like the... I'm thinking one thing, it happened yesterday, Carolyn and I were talking about something, she asked me a question, and I answered it, and then I was thinking about it, and she started talking about something else, but I was still thinking about the thing that she asked me about, and I said, what are you, what are you talking about? I'm really confused, what are you, she goes, I'm talking about this, I said, well, I was still thinking about the last thing, that, you know, this conversational whiplash is killing me, so uh, we, we do this, and it's all my fault, I know. <laughs> You ever get confused? You ever get confused about anything? Is that me? Let's, let's fix this here, okay? You get confused, and you're wondering what's going on. The, the, the examples I give you, those are usually kind of minor problems, right? There's a form of confusion that's not minor, and we see it in the text before us this morning in 1 John chapter 3. It's, in fact, a very serious problem. We're returning to continue our study here in 1 John at chapter 3 today. We began and we entered into chapter 3 last week. I want you to go with me to chapter 3 in 1 John and look at verse 4. I'm going to read verses 4 through 10. Verses 4 through 10. Follow along in your copy of God's Word as I read from mine in the ESV, the English Standard Version. Verse 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that He appeared in order to take away sins, and in Him there is no sin. No one who abides in Him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen Him or known Him. Little children, let no one deceive you He's talking to believers here, little children. Let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. 
Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. In the text that we're looking at this morning, we find two groups of people. These are the two groups of people that make up all people on earth. Verse 10 says, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. There are two groups of people on earth, and they yet have one thing in particular in common. Everyone on earth, whether they realize it or not, whether they want to admit it or not, has to deal with the problem of sin. But some might say, why is this sin issue such a problem? And what I want to do today as, as we begin looking at this section of verses is to show you the importance of understanding the sin problem, the, the understanding that sin is a serious problem, uh, what the nature of sin is, what sin is, and why is sin such a problem. That's what we're going to see today, and we're looking at, at the problem this week. And the next Sunday, Lord willing, we come back to this passage again, these, these verses 4 through 10 to look at the solution. Now, I don't think you could have missed the solution. It was in the text, and if you were following along, you noticed the solution, but we're not going to talk about the solution today. We're going to talk about the problem because it's important that we grasp the, the, the seriousness of sin. We, we read these verses, and we couldn't, notice, couldn't, couldn't help but miss the solution, but, but there's a serious problem before us that we need to think about. So what is Sin. Here's the first part of the problem, and I'm going to give you three parts to the problem this morning. Here's the first part of the problem, and the reason we need to ask this question is because one of John's purposes in these verses is to wake up the person who has a false assurance of salvation. They're confused spiritually. Look again at verse 4. We find there a defining term that begins to help clear up spiritual confusion. Verse 4, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. What is sin? Answer, sin is lawlessness. What we learn here is that sin is at its very root Rebellion against God's righteous and just law. Sin is living or acting in any way that ignores or is against God's law. If you commit sin, you break God's law. Now, there's light at the end of this dark tunnel. When we're thinking about sin, it seems discouraging and depressing maybe. But if you hope in God, if you abide in Christ, 
If you're eagerly anticipating the return of Christ, as we discussed last week here, as we ended chapter 2 and entered chapter 3, if, you, if you're looking eagerly and expecting the return of Christ, you have much hope and anticipation over that event because of Jesus Christ and His sacrifice for sinners. That, that, it, that includes you. If you trust in Jesus Christ, you know that your sins are, are forgiven. And so you have hope. You have hope for dealing with sin and lawlessness. That brings us to the second part of the problem. We need to be rescued. We need to be rescued from sin's grasp. Look at verse 5 again. Verse 5, you know, what, uh, you know that He appeared to take away sins, and in Him there is no sin. He appeared for what purpose? To take away sins. In other words, you need to be rescued. I need to be rescued from sin's grasp. And we have a little glimmer. Well, maybe it's not so little. It's huge. When you think about the last phrase of verse 5, and in him there is no sin. There is light on the horizon. There's a sunrise in front of us. When we think about is Jesus capable of washing us, cleansing us from our sins? Yes, he is, because in him is no sin. He is Christ. And we learn here that Jesus Christ came to take away sins, and we can praise God for that. We know also from the Scriptures that Jesus came to take away sins' consequences. And we know this, don't we, that if we sin, if you're a follower of Christ, you know this, if you sin, you know you're forgiven. God forgives you. God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to take the punishment for your sins, and we can rejoice in that. But we aren't always rescued from the consequences. We deal with some consequences here on earth. You know this, I know this, and we know people going through the consequences of their sinful choices. And some of us have our own stories to share of consequences that we've suffered because of our sinful choices. Yet ultimately, this is wonderful, ultimately, what we deserve because of our sins, we do not get. And we are rescued from the ultimate consequence of sin, which is death. We receive eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We learned when we studied 1 John 1.7 that if you walk in the light, that is, if you confess your sin and believe in Jesus as Savior, you have fellowship with one another other believers, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses you from all your sin. You rejoice in that, and that also means that you are saved eternally from the consequences of your sin. Jesus appeared to take away sins, and He can take away sins because in Him there is no sin. And so we learn here that sin is a serious problem that God, praise God, takes seriously. So seriously He sent His Son the sinless one, to be the sacrifice for sinners. Just think about the truth of Colossians 1.14 that says that it is in the Son of God that we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That reminds us that we need redeeming. We need saving. We need to be rescued from sin's grasp. We cannot do this ourselves. We need a Savior. 
And you need to wake up every day rejoicing in the fact if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're a believer in the Savior who redeems your life. You need to wake up every day rejoicing in that truth. And some of us need to need that more than others. Some of us need to re- remind ourselves every day that Jesus saves. And I can praise God for that. No matter what I'm facing, no matter what hardship or heartache or difficulty, whether it's a relationship, whether it's physical, whether it's a job or a wayward child or a difficulty, whatever it is, rejoice in the fact that you're redeemed. If you're God's child, you're adopted into the family of God. He makes you His own. He forgives your sins. You rejoice in that. We can't escape this problem of sin. We can't can't escape that yet while we're still living here on earth, can we? We know we still deal with this. There's this wonderful news that that Jesus saves and forgives, and yet we still have this challenge before us, this difficulty of dealing with sin. But there's hope for you, a sinner, if you put your faith in Jesus. And we rejoice in that. Because Jesus Christ became the sacrifice for sins. He appeared to take away sins. But even that truth reveals a third part of the problem. And we hear it in the question that some might ask. Well, if Jesus appeared to take away sin, why do we still sin? And I'm specifically thinking about believers. Why do we still sin? If you've trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, you know you are still having to do a battle with sin in your life. If you don't know that, ask someone really close to you if that's true. They'll tell you, yes, you are still battling sin. You are still dealing with sin, even though you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, there are two views of the believer seen here in 1 John that seem to conflict, and we need to be on guard against being confused about this. First, there's the view we see in 1 John that might lead us to believe that Christians don't sin. We see a passage like 1 John 2.3 that says, And by this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. And we may think by this that that people who are believers no longer sin. If If you're done sinning, then that's a sign you're truly a believer. Well, there's something similar in our passage this morning in verse 6 where John writes, No one who abides in Him keeps on sinning. And then in verse 9, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. And then later in 1 John 5 and verse 18, when we get there, we'll see this. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. So it would seem, from reading those passages, that believers are no longer sinners. And we might be confused and think that that's one view that we might have of believers in 1 John. But there's another view of believers in 1 John. There's also the view of the Christian in 1 John that does still sin. We see it in passages like 1 John 1 when we 
studied there in verses 8 through 10. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And there's 1 John 2, 1. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ, the righteous. And we saw this last Sunday here in 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. All indicating that we're still dealing with sin, even as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you're a believer in Jesus, you rejoice in the fact that you will be like Him one day when you see Him. But that day has not yet appeared, because you're still here. So we have these two views of the believer in Jesus But don't be confused. The point here is not that believers are still having a struggle with sin. And the point here isn't that believers are not having a struggle with sin. The point here, what's important, is that we see here in our passage that there's real hope for us. It's why Jesus came. The point John is making is that some people are falsely assured of their salvation. That's the, that's the overarching theme of this section of verses, that some people are confused or deceived about their own salvation. They're falsely assured of their salvation when the evidence of their lives should tell them that they have not truly trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. And this should be a wake-up call to people who are just kind of going through the motions of Christianity We find clarity here in what verse 8 says. Look again at 1 John 3 and verse 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. So we're not being taught here in 1 John that believers don't sin. You are not perfected yet, this side of heaven. But what we are being taught is that a person is an unbeliever if they make a practice, a habit of sinning, of unrepentant sin, if that's their their normal way of life, you can see it here in verse 8. And that's what we hear John saying in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 18. I, I read it a moment ago that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. He's talking about the willful He's saying a believer, a real believer in Jesus Christ who has been changed and made new and has the Spirit of God living in him will not go on willfully, habitually, unrepentantly practicing sin. And the warning makes here, that he makes here is that if you're living in continual, habitual, willful, unrepentant sin, then you're deceiving yourself if you think you're a Christian. And so John's trying to make it really clear. He's saying, look, pay attention. Look at your life. What does your life tell you about your position in or out of Christ? That's why John says in verse 9, look at it again. Look at verse 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning for God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. In other words, 
You cannot keep on sinning without the Spirit of God. If the Spirit of God is living in you, you cannot keep on sinning without the Spirit of God convicting you and drawing your attention to the fact that you need to repent of that and turn and move toward obedience. Believers in Jesus can truly rejoice that your sins are forgiven, but the person who settles into a pattern of sin, who does not experience guilt for sin, and does not repent of and seek to turn from that sin, has real reason to doubt that they are a child of God. What the Bible is teaching here is that a lifestyle characterized by continual and willful unrepentant sin cannot be maintained by a true child of God. Sobering, isn't it? For true followers of Christ, the fact remains, and we rejoice in this, that you, though you still sin and still are fighting sin, you have God's help. You can say no. You can turn from. You can choose not to sin. You have His help. You have His Word. You have His Spirit living in you. Believers, when, when you recognize you sin, you, you repent of that sin and you seek to live in obedience to God's Word. And that is often an ongoing, several times a day kind of practice for, for us. And because the believer in Jesus is a new creation in Christ, there is, as Romans 8, 1 says, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We rejoice in that. The believer does still sin, but that believer remains secure in Christ. And, and get this, you cannot keep on sinning without the Holy Spirit's conviction. And and your heart's desire will be you want to do right. You want to honor God even though you're fighting sin. You cannot keep on sinning without being convicted of that sin and longing to turn from that sin and, and to obedience. So there is hope for you if you have repented of your sin before God and trusted in Jesus because Jesus came to deliver you from the power and the penalty of sin. And God's Spirit lives in you to bring conviction and help you when you do sin. And even to help you when you're tempted to sin so that you have the strength and the wherewithal to say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to honor God. There is also hope for you if you realize today that you need to believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. If, if this is a wake-up call for you today that I, I'm not a child of God. There's hope for you because this passage calls to you to pay attention and put your eyes on Christ and trust in Him alone for your salvation and He forgives and cleanses and makes you new and sends His Holy Spirit to indwell you to help you grow in Christ and walk in Christ. The question you should ask yourself today is, Whose child am I? Am I a child of God? Or am I a child of the devil? If you can confidently say, I'm a child of God, well, you can rejoice today in this passage. You can look at this passage and rejoice that Jesus came. He made the forgiveness of your sins possible. He cleanses you 
through His shed blood. But if the evidence of your life causes you to say, I I don't think I am a child of God, I think I'm a child of the devil, then this passage is a warning and a call to you to repent of your sin and believe in Jesus Christ today for your salvation. Just don't forget that salvation is only yours through Jesus Christ. You cannot earn it. It is a gift of God. So you can't boast. It is through his death on the cross that Jesus Christ makes possible your salvation, your forgiveness of sins, and the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit to help you say no to sin and turn from sin and walk in obedience to God. Even though once you turn to Christ and are saved, you you begin a new fight with sin. One you were not in before. And God helps you and he gives his word to you and he gives a spirit to you to help you and you can praise God for that.